Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is DTC Growth Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test. Advertising Simplified. This is DTC Growth Hacking presented by Field Test, and I'm your host, Rob McGray. One of the things I've really noticed coming um, as we struggle through or think we're coming out of this pandemic is that physical experiences have, have seemed to reemerge with this, this new vigor. And whether you like to go to Disney World or Disneyland or check out the immersive Van Gogh or, or even go to something like Meow Wolf, um, there seems to be something out there for everyone. And what it, what it really says to me is that people want personalized physical experiences. And immersive theater is something that really is designed to provide that. Johnny Grant is the co-founder and he's the chief creative officer at Department Studios. And he's got this crazy background in all sorts of immersive experiences. And he specializes in this intersection of immersive and commercial endeavoring. He's worked with top-tier brands on how to create these just super amazingly personal and highly interactive journeys for people. And I'm really excited to have him on the podcast, giving us some time and, and sharing some of his experiences, his insights, and, and even his you know, predictions for, for where this all goes. Johnny, how's it going? Super well, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Johnny, where are I? I and I, I know I, I already said I was going to ask you this. Like, where are you now? Because I can never keep up with your nomadic lifestyle. I am currently in Ibiza and the Balearic Islands in Spain. Yeah, tough game. I know that during the pandemic, you have you have kind of found some way to. I don't want to say you've turned it into a vacation because I don't think it's been a vacation, but you have found some way to go to strange, exotic places almost the entire time. Yes. I mean, I don't tend to admit this in public. So now my secret is outed. Uh, I've been pretending that I've been locked away in a, uh, in, in a, in a small flat in London somewhere. But yeah, I, I just got a, a little bit ahead of the whole pandemic. And each time before they shut down, I managed to leave the country and get to a warmer climes where um, things like restaurants were open. And, you know, you could at least live a relatively uh, normal life in the outdoors. It was a, it was a great, great blessing. And, and you have a, I mean, from, from what I understand in, in our conversations, like you have a strong background in, in being a world traveler. You, you, you take a lot of pride in it. It's very much part of who you are. And I know we've talked a lot about how that has influenced the, the type of experiences that you create. Yeah, massively. I mean, ultimately, uh, in in any of the work that we do, culture comes first, and 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 it's very um, multi layered what we do. You know, we're we're not just uh, 
we don't just create theatre, we don't just create music and sound design or lighting and you know all of those things that come in, but we're also creating content um, alongside of it uh, and we're fusing a whole number of different art forms together. And I guess um, keeping yourself in touch with what is happening out there culturally seems to become a harder and harder task. The world moves faster and faster. I, I totally can't keep up with pop music anymore. I've kind of hung up, hung up my hat on that and just hoped that the good stuff filtered through to me. Um, but just trying to keep on, 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 on trend with what, what's happening out there, but also um, embellishing that with all sorts of wonderful things that I might find in any of the continents that I visited and, you know, the different music and theatre styles and, and all sorts of, um, you know, I, I, I can always, always remember being about 15 years old and ending up in a, uh, in, in a shadow puppet theatre in, um, in a place called Jogjakarta, which is in south of Java. Uh, and it was um, just one of those moments where I really realised that, that what I wanted to do was to go way beyond what normal theatre was. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I, I love these types of stories where you find someone's kind of origin and, and where they got their initial inspiration. Um, since, since we're kind of like going back in time, I think it would be great to set some context for our listeners around, you know, kind of the origins of immersive theater as we know it today. And, uh, you know, for someone like me, who's, you know, not super initiated, uh, I think of things like, and, and we talked about this, I think I met at some point the you, you, me, bum, bum train people. And, uh, I know that sleep no more was a big thing, but you know, that's all probably in the last like decade or so, or maybe a little bit longer, but you know, when does immersive theater, you know, in terms of like integrating with technology, which I think is where it gets super interesting. When does that first start to happen? Well, it hasn't really is the answer to that. That is absolutely what we are driving at. That's what our work at Department Studios is all about, is adding that layer of technology where it fits seamlessly, where it in improves the experience, not detracts from it, where it is unclunky, where it seems a logical part of the scenario, the world that you're in, rather than being a slightly forced layer to give you, you know, wow factor or whatever. Um, so the, the simple answer is it hasn't really. I've, I've seen a couple of great examples uh, in the last few years of people really trying to bring the two together. I don't think anyone's cracked it yet. I, I would love to say one day that we were the ones that cracked it. Um, you know, immersive theatre is only 15 years old, relatively speaking. I'm sure probably... Felix Barrett and and the guys who founded Punch Drunk and Steve Dobby and uh, and Maxine Doyle etc would would probably bring it back a few more years than that to their uni days and whatever when they were doing um this kind of thing, um, but uh, other than that, it, it it's been around. So in terms of my contact with it, I guess we were um. About 15 years ago, my uh, business partner in the agency and uh, good buddy Hamish, he, um, he was working for Kevin Spacey at the Old Vic Theatre. And uh, on a, I, I would like to say it was not all a totally planned experience, but on a, 
a, a night where perhaps too many uh, libations had been consumed. Uh, they were rocking around. They'd, they'd, they'd been working with Banksy uh, on his, so he had opened this graffiti tunnel underneath Waterloo Station in London where it was legal to do graffiti, right? So, And he'd opened it with all these amazing artists. And then shortly after that, he had um, agreed to do the premiere of his film Exit Through the Gift Shop down there and whilst we were scoping that out Hamish and team knocked through some doors they shouldn't have done one evening and found 40,000 60,000 square feet of amazing 60 foot brick brick tunnels underneath Waterloo station that hadn't been used since the war they were only using the war to keep dead bodies in um it has a, a brilliantly sort of sinister mm. um history to it and just this incredible found space so this whole idea of taking found spaces for a start and to, you know was really just kicking off around then and um and you know the, the first show they produced there was with a little known uh theater company called punch drunk now obviously a very well-known theater company uh i think the second show they produced there was with little known theater company called secret cinema also who now have a fabulous reputation and a lot of great work behind them and these guys were really you know this was really very early in the in this around the advent of immersive theater i think it was second or third show that each of those outfits had done themselves so we were only a, a couple of years in when when that kicked off and um you know but and then when, if you track back beyond 15 years theater is for you know for, really for the the history of of modern civilization so i'm talking 500 bc onwards has been um has been an audience on one side generally in a big amphitheater in greece uh, at the beginning and on the other side a stage and never the two shall meet yeah. and i guess um much later things like promenade theater uh, came about which was when a an audience may follow a show around a location rather than being a seated audience. So that definitely broke some of those boundaries. But these guys basically turned up and said, well, what if we allowed our audience to not only um, interact with that, but really enter into the, the stage, go into their world, be, be and, and actually even possibly even change the way that narrative plays out, you know, become part of that narrative. And in that participation is where, what I really love about immersive theatre. It's the difference for me. And I think it's the difference as well between for a, a large and growing audience now of these really fervent fans who follow this uh, trend, uh, trend and they're going from sort of, Immersive show to immersive show, you know, our, our research shows that most of the people buying immersive theatre tickets have been to immersive theatre before. And then it's it's really a re repeated uh, pattern. Um, and that they become kind of hooked because it's this deep, deep level of escapism. Um, you know, there's lots of studies in teaching that if you ask a kid to read something, they'll retain, you know, a certain amount of it. If you ask them to listen to something, they'll probably retain a little less of it. 
But if you ask a kid to do something, the retention of that is amazing. And we see that all the time in, in immersive theatre, that people not only love it, but they can it, it just sticks in their memory. Yeah. Yeah. As you're describing this, I'm thinking of the big difference between like active and passive entertainment, you know, and um, when as, as video games began to get better and better and kind of reach cinema quality, you could see why, oh, wow, I, I could I could be in this movie versus I could watch this movie and I can have direct impact on outcomes in the story. And I think that the amazing thing about immersive theater is not only that, you know, beyond front row seat to the action, but being like you are the action, you know, that, that at times it revolves around you. Absolutely. And, and you know, ga- gaming has been, I think, as big an influence on immersive theater as theater itself to some degree. And certainly on what, what we're doing and in, in the projects we're working on at the moment, the gamification aspect of that, the playability of it, allowing people get, get you know, being there being multiple roles and and levels to attain within it, there be being other things to go back and explore and 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 gain new information on. That's something we've been really really fascinated by. It's that sense of agency, yeah. isn't it? It's that yeah. sense of actually being 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 able to 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 affect what you're doing. Yeah, I I mean I um I had this kind of surreal experience a couple of years ago. I I played the this video game, The Witcher Three. Are you familiar with? I'm sure everybody kind of probably, I think probably knows what this is at this point. But I didn't. I hadn't read any of the books. I wasn't familiar with the material. Um, someone, I think, gifted me the game and uh, played on like a PS4 and and I played through like twice. And and just to set like context of time commitment, I think probably like a hundred plus hours each time easily right of just like i was way into it and and i felt and it's not it's not like 3d or it's not virtual reality it's like it's a it's a video game video game but i felt so much in that world that you know they they set it up and there's a spoiler here for witcher 3 for anybody um who has not played it and is thinking of um you might want to skip ahead like 30 seconds but there's a love triangle involved in the story that you're you're playing through and you know you basically you can kind of be a uh, i don't know an honest outstanding man and and like be very um committed to one of these female characters or you can try to play the field and when you play the field with all of them eventually they figure it out and they kind of turn on you and so the reason I went back the second time was essentially to not do that and to, you know, not make the mistakes I'd made the first time with pissing off the women and to be true to one of the women characters who I felt this connection with. And I tried to tell some friends at dinner that what was going on. And the reaction at the table was like, you are a crazy person. Like that you have developed this emotional attachment to this video game character so much that you've gone back and replayed this stupid game. Like what is wrong with you? Why aren't you outliving your life? 
And there are probably much easier ways of, of getting a threesome in modern society without 200 hours of gameplay, I would suggest. But, you know, we can come back to that one. <laughs> so you played. Um, but, 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 yeah, but it just seemed like I, I, I think the, the, I walked away with like this kind of excitement and fear about the future of what these experiences were going to be like because they were going to be, it was clear that they were going to be so emotionally powerful and create such attachment, which is what I think you're talking about with this tribe who love immersive theater Mm -hmm. is you develop this attachment or this addiction to the feeling that you're able to get. And although you could get that feeling in real life, for some reason, this seems like a better way to go about it, which is super strange, but it's, it's controlled. It's safe, you know, to a, to a certain extent, I'm sure there's some immersive theater that feels very unsafe, but, but for the most part, it's, it's, it's managed and someone's running the show. Um, yeah. And so, so and it's I just, also larger than life and, and it's a group experience It's contained and you don't have to spend a hundred hours to get from the start to the finish of it. Now, admittedly, it's considerably more expensive than a computer game these days. But, um, you know, I, I think those are the things that, that really, that, that, this, is, this is exactly that same sense of escapism, larger than life. You know, how, how, how do I dive into reality that's potentially cooler or wilder or weirder than my own for a little while? And how do I do that relatively quickly, you know, and come out the other side with having having had a, uh, uh, an experience where just all bets were off, everything changed just for a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I know your background, you know, at, at this time in, in, in your, your story is, you know, you are a commercial director, you have a production company. When do you kind of connect the two worlds of immersive theater and, you know, and, and kind of commercial uh, endeavors? Like when does yeah. that happen for you? Well, when uh, when Kevin and Hamish and, and <clears throat> other buddies of mine were opening this this space underneath Waterloo, and I'm really, you know, I'm really just a fanboy at this point. I have a degree in theatre, um, studied it all, all all through my life, and 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 was a an actor as a kid, but moved quickly into sort of directing. Um, but this new genre, this new art form that I was seeing exploding. And to me, this was as important a genre shift in any major art form as we'd seen in our lifetime. Maybe electronic music. It, you know, to, to some degree, this was what electronic music had done for music. This is what, is what immersive theatre was, was doing for theatre in terms of it was basically turning the whole thing on its head and it was making it sound and look and feel entirely different. Uh, so I was a bit of a fanboy. I was watching <clears throat> a bunch of really great experience creators come through these spaces. I was creating experiences myself. I was I was now directing sort of big opening um, ceremonies and, and and these kind of live shows. So I was doing the UEFA Champions League opening ceremony and these kind of projects. Um, so I was I was in that world, but I wasn't deeply in the immersive world. But I did see a bunch of incredible experienced creators. So I, I was running a film production company, as you said. I was a, a commercials director and our model uh, as creative director of, of, of that company. My model really was to take great 
directorial talent and rep them out to brands and agencies <clears throat> and create great work with them. And in a very similar way here, what I saw an opening for, or I thought I saw an opening for, was to take all these amazing experienced creators and take them out to brands to create experiential, in inverted commas, marketing that could elevate that and take it into a new new place just as just as immersive was to theater i i could imagine what these these great experience creators could do for for experiential marketing we 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 termed it immersive marketing so we went around and we signed up half of the great experience creators i could think of within the first couple of days steve dobby from punch drunk um Kate from uh, from Yumi Bum Bum Train, uh, Joe Vidler from who created Secret Garden Party and, and Wilderness Festival, Simon Hammerstein who was uh, the artistic director of the Box, etc. etc. And all of these who I consider to be amazing experience creators, right at the top of their game, were just they hadn't. They'd never had any offer of representation at all, and they none of them had really worked with brands, so they all just leapt, sort of leapt at the chance. You know, at this point, no one was hitting a big payday off most of this stuff. We were we were all sort of struggling artists, so we um you know it, it we we put that together very quickly. Unfortunately, um, we were a bit early. Really, I went out to brands with who I thought was an absolutely stellar lineup of ex- incredible experienced creators. And the brand kind of turned back around to me and said, sorry, who? I haven't been to any of those. What are they? Mm. Because ultimately, most of the marketeers in the brands at that point were still suits and they weren't really going to these cool things. Um, there were a few of them, you know, when we went to Perno Ricard, they went, yeah, 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 whatever. We've already worked with Punch Drunk and we worked with these guys. And, and you know, they were they were all over it. But um, mo- for most of them, it was really quite a hard sell. Now, not so much. Now, 50% of the experiential agencies in London have the word immersive plastered all over their, their work. We were, yeah. When we went out, and this is nearly eight years ago now when we went out to market first we called ourselves the immersive agency and half the time people said what does that mean and that's exactly the question we wanted them to ask by the way yeah isn't that funny when when you're uh, so far ahead and you think back at what you were what you were offering and the re- the lack of you know kind of excitement that you receive and then you flash forward to like today and you're like, oh, that's what everybody's buying. Like yeah. to your point, being, you know, being too early is like a badge of honor, but, but yeah. that's really, that's really all you get for it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you get the badge, you don't get the profit. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And we, and, and we did, you know, we, we kind of struggled in that first couple of years. We, we spent a lot of time educating people about, the ways in which that could be done. And then we hit a couple of really linchpin projects in sort of 2016, 2017. Um, I had a, a buddy of mine, Chris Bamford, who was a creative director at an agency called Freud's. And um, they had Toyota as a big client, or actually Lexus more specifically. And 
they came he, he came to me with a project <clears throat> he said look we've got um we've got a tv commercial starring jude law and you basically the basic premise is if you get into the car uh it it gives you a a rock star lifestyle right so in the in the commercial um Jude Law jumps out of a car. He throws his keys to a pair of sort of first-person disembodied hands. You catch them and you realise it, it's obviously uh, a valet. And then the valet gets into the car and goes off and le- leads Jude Law's life for, for the day, going to fashion shows and, you know, ringside at boxing matches and crazy parties and all this jazz. Because, of course, that's exactly what Jude does every day. Of yeah, that, <laughs> every day. <laughs> Everyday standard. And and they said, look, is there a way we could bring this to life? We've got 100 uh, international. We, we want to speak to lifestyle press, not automotive press. We want to speak to lifestyle press. We've got, um, you know, we've got the editor of Huffington Post coming. We've got the uh, chief editor of Vogue Russia coming, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> How do we speak to them? What do we, what can we, what kind of experience can we create for them? How can we bring the idea of this ad to life? And without going into too much detail on it, um, it was basically, we, we basically set up for them what looked like a kind of cool car launch. There was <clears throat> really cool sound. And, and projection show etc and then we they they sort of wandered through this 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 space seeing different elements of the car brought to life and then there was the car and uh all we projection mapped onto the car which was like every single car brand in the world had done that within the last two years uh and um and then we invited our guests to get into the car and as they were uh once they got in the car there were some vr headsets and then we they got put these vr headsets on and they had this nice like four minute vr experience of what it would be like to drive the car and Mm -hmm. we hope at this point they're thinking oh christ what am i doing here another one of these crap car launches where they just like why am i sat in a car doing a vr experience of what it might like be like to sit in the car and whilst they were doing that we had this car set in this black box and uh, whilst they were in the vr headsets all of the walls disappeared around them and and behind those walls was a full film set with multiple cameras and and crew all standing by uh we removed the bonnet of the car that they were sat in we removed the windscreen right in front of their faces we put a platform on top of the the engine an entire camera team got on top of that the, the the engine on on the platform and had a lens right in their faces as they um as 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 they started to take their headsets off so they they came out of this kind of boring vr experience and were suddenly in this massive film studio with a crane swinging overhead and and uh, a sort of makeup fluffer in their face you know touching them up uh, uh, figuratively speaking with makeup terms um and um uh, and then whisked them away for the next hour on this kind of superstar lifestyle and everybody that they encountered knew their name knew stuff about them you know they they're all 
that they're all journalists, so it hadn't been too difficult for us to mine information. So the first person they met was their PA who would say, oh, Rob, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken to your mother and would know the name of your mum and, you know, watch your dogs and know the name of your dogs and just sort of generally freaking them out <clears throat> before they left yeah. the uh, the studio, you know, butted up by the director on the way out for their amazing performances, only to be mobbed by 20 paparazzi stood outside all shouting, Rob, Rob, over here, mate, over here, mate. Uh, and then get them in the car and te- and drove them across town where we had, uh, where we'd taken up the uh, Mondrian Sea Containers Hotel uh, as our as our venue. But we'd said to the hotel owners, do us a favour, just run your hotel as you normally would run it. The more standard issue uh, it is, the more real this is going to feel for them. But we had red carpets set up all over the place. We had stylists set up in the background, um, who celebrity stylists, an amazing tailor called Joshua Kane, who would greet them and give them clothes for the red carpet. And then they would run around to the red carpet. And by the time they got to the red carpet, it was amazing. 99 out of 100 of these journalists got out of that car and there were 50 fans all stood there screaming at them. Some of them had like their faces printed out on photographs for them to sign and all of them wanted selfies and all this stuff by the time they got there 99 of these journalists got out of that car and were in it they were there waving to the fans hey posing for the selfies signing the autographs not even a moment's thought about it they were just this was their moment to be a A a-list celebrity and they were going to milk it and then we walked them around the the red carpet and as you got to the end of the red carpet, there were a bunch of cameras for them to do just little sort of press junkety bits too. Um, all, all fake except for the last camera. And the last camera was a real camera. Um, and it was capturing uh, uh, the moment where in this final interview, uh, Jude, who had been hiding backstage the whole time, would come out. And every uh, th- this whole thing is 14 scenes set up perfectly of four minute scenes now four minutes has to yeah the scene has to perfectly reset itself for the next two people to come through so we did this 50 times and poor old jude has been sat there like a yo-yo coming in and out every four minutes and diving in and going rob johnny how you doing guys can i get my keys back please and we capture that moment on camera where these journalists suddenly went all right, this has just gone triple with it. This is Jude Law asking me for my keys. Uh, and then we'd march them through the working hotel, just a normal hotel, just as it was. And it was great because all the hotel guests had started to gather because they thought famous people were there. So they were actually gathering in the foyer and, and staring down all of the uh, people as we walked through anyway. So they were really getting the full celeb treatment, even though they weren't celebs at all. Um and then we marched them in down through. We got permission from the hotel brilliantly to take one, uh, two guests at a time through the working kitchens of the hotel where you've got 40 you know, chefs and kitchen porters and whatever working away, real guys. And in the middle of those, we'd have one plant who'd be the sommelier and he'd turn around and say, ah, oh, Rob, can you tell us which of these wines do you like? You know, just giving them this full, full experience. And then we suddenly dragged them through a side door and they were in a, a 60 seater um, private screening room, cinema room, 
with 60 guests in, all of whom jumped to their feet, all in black tie, ball gowns, there for the premiere, uh, give you, give you a, 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 a standing ovation. The director who you met before, we've got a lookalike dead ringer director here who jumps up and says, oh, Rob, nice to see you again, man. And you're just going, what the? Uh, uh, I can't wait to show everyone the premiere. Isn't it amazing? And then we essentially showed them the TV commercial with Jude Law in it, except at the end when Jude Law in the TV commercial comes back to the valet and says, give me my keys back. We cut that in with the sequence of you guys walking down the red carpet and Jude coming out and tapping you on the shoulder and saying, can I have my keys back, please? So each of them starred four minutes later after, after we'd shot it, by the way. So that, wow. so that had gone been piped into a broadcast rig and, and cut into the commercial uh, within four minutes to show in this premiere. So each of them starred in their, their own premiere. And it was... Quite immersive, really. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I, I, you know, thank you for telling, you did such a good job of painting that picture, by the way. I felt like I just did the experience. And the two things that really stuck out for me is that you created such a moment of, you know, um, disbelief and and you triggered something in in the 99 of 100 um as you said uh, participants for when they were when they were having that moment in front of the paparazzi and they just gave in like they actually a part of them believed it and they, i think that they, that's they, they the all thing. wanted it 
They didn't, yeah. you know, they wanted to believe it. And that's one of the key the key things about immersive. You have to give people something they want to dive into, right? It, it, and, and that could be really dark and sinister. People want to dive into that too. It doesn't have to yeah. be all fluffy and nice. But if you give someone the opportunity to become an A-list celebrity for now and and treat everyone like that, I mean, you, you know, the Bum Bum Train guys, that is what they do. They give you an hour of exceptional moments where you just dive in and out of roles. Uh, and we always loved what they did. And this is, this is an homage to this. This piece was definitely an homage to what they did to us, really, because the first time I went and saw a Yumi Bum Bum Train, and, and for the audience, Yumi Bum Bum Train are a pair of very brilliant British directors, a theatre company who create a show which has 300 volunteer performers and one audience member. And it, an audience member goes through every few minutes. It is one of the hottest tickets in London, if you can get them. They do them in a, on a sort of raffle kind of basis. And um, you find you find someone who's seen one of their shows and doesn't tell you it's probably the best thing they've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still thinking of your, your Lessex experience and I'm, I'm thinking about the, the euphoria that, that the, the audience member has and how that becomes um, kind of forever burned into their brain with the association to the brand. You know, Lexus came to you and said, we want to be a lifestyle brand, right? Specifically, and luxury. And luxury. Yeah. Luxury lifestyle brand. Yeah. How can we do that? And this idea that we will, we will, we will immerse these, these audience members in luxury and lifestyle like they've never experienced before. Like with very few exceptions, I don't think probably any of these people had had that type of reaction from other human beings when they saw them, you know, like the standing ovation, like the, 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 you're giving them the thrill ride of their life. Yeah. 100%. And and it it was why when they came to us with the commercial and said, how would we turn this immersive experience? I mean, it took us about an hour (laughs) to come up with, most of that you know it was it was it was such an obvious fit for how to give someone an incredible moment and i've got to tell you you know chief editor of vogue russia came out at the end and she you know we have her on camera just saying it was so so amazing you know <laughs> and uh and, and uh, a quote that i think i still use on my signature somewhere is is uh, one of the editors at, at, at huffington post who just came out and said, um, I don't want to go back to my normal life now. Yeah. And it was so such an honest kind of, I, I felt it from him, but you know, that was a, a nice indictment. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of um, your opening there, right? Your opening where you create the, you, you set up an expectation that this is going to kind of be like, yeah, whatever. I've done this before, right? The, I'm sitting in a car. It's like, I, I might as well be at a car show. Now I got some cheap VR, whatever. Like, what am I doing wasting my time? And you, so you set the bar so low, so fast, and then just hit hard when that VR set comes off. And it, it reminds me a little in a weird way of um, the Haunted Mansion ride, the first time I ever went on it, you know? And it's like, you're a little kid and you're standing in line for what seems to be an eternity, right? To go on the Haunted Mansion at Disney. And you finally get in that 
that elevator. And, and this is a spoiler for anybody who hasn't been in on the Haunted Mansion. But you get in this, you get in this like what you think is this little next room you're going to go into. And then this illusion is created that basically the, you know, the ceiling is rising, it's falling, it's really trippy, right? And it's like, it brings you into this world in such a powerful way that, and that euphoria lasts for quite some time. In, in your experience, you kept on, I feel like it was like, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not saying this, I'm not comparing this to cocaine, but right, it's, it's, it's like someone just did some cocaine and then made more cocaine and more cocaine and more cocaine. It was like every step that you described kind of one up the previous one. You know, yeah. and it was like, and and you and I have talked about this before, but I am a huge fan, and I know you are of the Michael Douglas, um, David Fincher film, yeah. The Game, and and I've always wanted that something to happen in my life like that, where you know, where you just are taken for this ride that you don't understand, and you don't know if it's real, and it and it feels like it you're alive in a way that you've never been alive before. And, um, and, and, and just, are we going to get to that point? Like I think about VR and VR can do it to a certain extent, right? I mean, mentally we can be tricked, but you're talking about like in the physical world, like having that type of crazy experience that just, I, I would think solidifies your relationship to whatever is providing that experience in this case, in this example you give is Lexus. Right. And so I wonder if we went back and asked those journalists to, you know, just, hey, when I say Lexus, what do you say? Right. Like one of those, um, you know, word games where I wonder what they would say, because yeah. I, I have to believe that in their minds, Lexus gave them such a gift, you know, something yeah. so yeah. special that they're never going to forget. I think so. And, you know, it was so effective. You know, we got a, a, a media reach of 350 million off the back of that show. Um, wow. ev all of them wrote about it, you know, and, and they wrote, and, and the messaging in there as well was, this was really crucial part of it. Nothing is explicit. Everything is implicit. If you want mm -hmm. them to talk about film, uh, you know, and, and celebrity lifestyle and all, all those things, would you just tell them, you just give them a story where they can't talk about anything else. You know, and, and, and that's that, that. So the messaging was absolutely coming out of it. The sort of pillars that they wanted to hit was exactly on point. And we had um, we had a sort of sister project of that. So so shortly after uh, big big brother um, parent company, Toyota, came knocking and said, great, we want one of those, please. And we did a show that arguably it wasn't as neat uh, a creative at all for me. And we had um, Mila Jovovich in this one. Uh, and we, we did a, a sort of similar thing. We actually created um, 100 personalized films of the media as they were going around. They didn't know we had hidden cameras. Um, and at the end, we, we, we sent them a personalized film of them starring Mila Jovovich. And 99 out of 100 of them shared that on their on on their platform, including like the editor of the Daily Mail, uh, the Mail Online, which is you know the most visited 
uh, web page in the world. And it was so, so we just got enormous, enormous, enormous lift off, off basically leveraging the idea that these people want something to show off about. Let's give them something amazing to show off about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, we met, I think our shared connection is, is through Meow Wolf, right? It's through chat yeah. at Meow Wolf. And when I, when I went to go see the Meow Wolf show, um, a few months ago for the first time, my, my expectation based on what I knew was that I was going to have that type of very personal experience and that it, I was going to lose the ability to understand what was real and what was fake. And I don't know why I thought that I had just built it up in my head as like, Oh, this it's the show is doing amazing things. I hear all these great things about it. It's going to have to be like that. And when, when I went through the experience, I, I, and this is not a criticism by any means, but it's, I think a challenge is that, you know, I think Meow Wolf at the time was at 50% capacity and it was way too many people for me to have that personal journey. And, and I don't want to spoil Meow Wolf for anybody, but there are clues to look for and there is a story there, but it's not in plain sight and there is no real navigation to find it. So it, amongst a massive crowd and people running around like all over the place and, and with masks and trying to avoid one another and all the madness, it was very hard to follow the through line. I mean, I think I kind of went through the thing in the wrong direction anyway, but, but I, I thought this is not, this is not the handheld experience towards euphoria that I was, that I thought it was going to be. And I wonder how are we going to, how, how at scale do you, because your experience that you talk about, which sounds so amazing that I, I want to do it. You had a hundred people, you had it go through in an hour. And I know from your theatrical background that you can, you and your team can coordinate many different moving pieces, right? Because that's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of bodies to coordinate. That is a show, that is a show, yeah. right? You can't do, you can't do that all day. It's a logistical right? nightmare, especially when you put people in cars across London during rush hour, it becomes an absolute logistical headache. But Yeah. So, fun. so, so you, you're recreating the game as like basically as theater and Meow Wolf has created like a, I wouldn't call it immersive. I'd call it like, you know, it's, it's a different, I would describe it as like a different type of museum experience. Um, they're, but, they're, but, they're really different things. I mean, ultimately what I've described in terms of our show and uh, what groups like Bum Bum Train do, there's no business model there. There are pieces. No one's ever going to make any money off them. Um, you know, you know we, we, we spent whatever a million quid on, on the Lexus project for a hundred people. That's 10 grand a ticket. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. you know, yeah. It's not 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 something you can replicate for commercial gain, unfortunately. Which is why, when a brand dives in like that, for us, we rub our hands together and go, "Amazing! We're going to be able to do something that we just wouldn't be able to do without that 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 backing." Um, so th there there is definitely an element of, and let's go back to the original example: Michael Douglas, the game. There's only one reason they're able to do that because he's a multi-millionaire and they've nicked all his money and spent it on it. <laughs> you know, <Right>. um, <laughs> oh, wow, you've had a, a, a 
a, a life changing experience which cost you five million pounds. So it's it's um yeah, there, there, there's an obvious uh, obvious connection there. And unfortunately, when when you take an experience as as we are um, hugely working through now, intimacy is everything, right? The more intimate you can get that. Uh, get the better. It's almost like uh, a strange metric between immersive practitioners. Is oh really? So how many uh, how many performers do you have per audience member? You know, because that becomes like a sort of badge of like this is really immersive because we have one one uh, one performer per five audience members. So it's like super immersive, and there's a truth to that. You know, like ultimately. Uh, you want to give people as, as intimate and personal an experience as possible, which is why Yumi Bum Train is incredible because they literally have 300 performers and you feel like the only person there. I've been in the middle of one of their shows and you're not really allowed to talk about what went on, so I'm breaking rules. Sorry, guys. Um, but you essentially go from life scenario to life scenario and everyone knows your name and you just plunge deep into each scenario because you have to as you get there and one of those scenarios i was walking down a sort of dark corridor i'd, I'd just been uh, being grilled by a psychiatrist in a, in a uh in a prison as to why i'd done whatever i'd done that sounded particularly bad and i was sort of mildly harrowed and i walked down this little dark corridor there's no one around me and this girl popped out with a headset on and she said oh Thank God you're here, Johnny. You're on in three, two, one, gave me a microphone, pushed me through a curtain, and there was a bank of 150 audience members. Maybe it wasn't that many, but it felt like that. Uh, right. A full TV studio set up, three cameras pointing out, autoprompter. A lady stood with next to the autoprompter pointing desperately at the, uh, at, the, uh, at the text. And you've got a microphone in your hand, and you just sort of said, okay, uh, so um, welcome to the Johnny Grant show. And they would launch you into these unbelievable moments, unbelievable moments. And um, I had, uh, this won't mean anything to the international audience so much, but um, at, at the end of my spiel, which was all written on the thing, welcome to Johnny Grant show, later on we'll be meeting X, Y, and Z. But now, and I said, but now star of children's TV, Sooty and Sweep and their guy, Martin or whatever it was. Sooty and Sweep are two puppets that I grew up with. Um, and they always had a, 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 a sort of puppeteer, you know, who links them up. Uh, it was a sort of famous kid's puppet show. And uh, he just popped out with Sooty and Sweep. And I then interviewed him and Sooty and Sweep. One of my friends got Jonathan Ross, if that means anything more to you. He's like yeah, yeah, king yeah. of Friday Night Telly in the UK. Um, who Jonathan Ross had turned up, seen the show, said, that is absolutely brilliant. I'll do, I'll, I'll do a few nights for you. You know, and creating experiences like that, they are literally money can't buy experiences. You could not do them. Uh, Bum Bum Train has such a following that getting hold of 300 volunteers is possible for them. It's not easy. I understand it's probably the hardest part of what they do. Um, but between them, those 300 volunteers and the Bum Bum Train guys, etc., what I really love is they've essentially signed up to spend all of their free time, their love, 
their effort, their creativity to give these individuals walking through this experience an absolutely mind-blowing hour. And it is a mind-blowing hour. You know, I, I, I would really challenge anyone to come out of that and go, oh, that was all right. It's the best thing you've ever done. It's immersive, deeply immersive. And um, when immersive is like that, is in those sort of impossible realms, commercially impossible realms, artistically perfection, it's in its, uh, uh, in, its, in its own world in terms of entertainment for me. So, so flash forward now, you've, you've got department studios underway. It's, a, it's your company, you're the um, chief creative officer. Uh, and I want to be careful because I don't want to say anything that I'm not supposed to say, but you know, you guys are taking all of this learning that you've spent, not only from your own endeavors, but from the, the, the immersive community at large. And you're all, you all seem to be connected in some way. And, and I, and you're making a business out of this. And so I wonder, I, I, I saw the announcement on LinkedIn. I know that department studios, um, and I think I can publicly say this since it was online has a, has a deal with Warner. And so there, there's something commercial that's going to happen at some point, but, uh, what are the, what are the, the, what's the big kind of, um, you know, sensibility behind department studios and like, you know, what, what, what is the mission of department studios? I should, I should have this off road. This should be patter for me by now. Um, mm -hmm. the, I guess the vision for us is to create an immersive experience that lasts long before and long after a deeply immersive and intimate theatrical experience. So there is the peak moment of this immersive experience, which is the two hour show that you're going to come and see that, uh, uh, which is uh, uh, you know, our partnership with Warner Brothers and DC Comics to create this uh, immersive show. Um, but it is also hugely about, um, about creating a narrative that lives either side of that and, and, and a world that people can delve into. How far we're going to get with this first show, we'll soon find out. It's, um, you know, ultimately we'll... We'll, we'll do whatever we can with the, the, the money that we're raising to create that. But our long-term vision is to really create livable story worlds, 24-hour, seven days a week story worlds, where the peak experience within that is a, an immersive, theatrical, ticketed experience, where, which is theatre at its core, but has another layer of tech, playability, gamification on top of that, the like of which to date I don't think has be seen, been seen in the immersive space. Yeah. I, I personally have, have thought that um, media companies in general have been very hesitant to, to get on board with, you know, what you describe as a 24-hour experience or you know, we, we might describe as like, you know, just leveraging the connectivity that we all have today. Um, we're all connected in some way. Everyone has a phone for the most part and is on the internet. And, and I think that 
media companies have not cracked have not cracked the code on how to engage in I will call them non markety ways, right? That are much more that feel more natural. They they are more emotional. You have a deeper connection, um, specifically around their properties, you know. And uh, and and it's something that I think that fans have been crying for for a long time. If you go on, you know, for example, um, you know, if if, if you watch any of, uh, you know say the Titans, for example, I've been checking out, which is a, a, a DC property. And, yeah. you know, it's, I don't know how, I don't know how popular the show is. It's on HBO max now, but, but there's a Reddit group and like, it's a rabid fan base. And for any of these like properties, this IP, there's always this core audience that just can't get enough. You know, they watch the TV episode, then they go on YouTube and watch the commentary by other YouTubers talking about the show that they've just actually seen, not telling them anything they didn't already know, but analyzing every little moment in it. And I always think like, look at how many people there are that would, would immediately sign up for deeper experiences with your properties. Like they're ready to go. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly what we believe. And, and, and we know that lots of these, properties have amazing trenchant fan bases who ultimately have an enormous desire to get up close and personal with the characters, the world. They want to live in it. You know, they want to live in the DC universe. They want to meet these, these extraordinary characters. I'm desperately trying to stay under the, uh, uh, under the guise of my NDA uh, here and, and, and play in that space. But, but there's also an access point here. And one of the things that I'm very, very keen on with this is that our digital play is not just, um, is, is not just a sort of secondary extension of what we're doing. It is the principal story. And to get to the peak experience is a, is a luxury because ultimately it's an expensive ticket for a family of five people. It's, it, it's a serious outlay. And I want to make sure that people out there who can't afford that and don't have that, that access and frankly don't, you know, aren't in London. Uh, which is where our show is opening next year on New York after that and Vegas, Shanghai, but it's still four cities in the world. Those people who can't fly in, go to that show all over the world, how, how do they get close to that experience? How, how do we give it a, a, a little bit of that? And how do we bring some of that to life? So there'll be elements, without saying too much, there'll be elements of the show that we're going to extrapolate and pull out and, and, and give people access to. Because um, it's really crucial for me that this doesn't just become uh, an, another playground for for the wealthy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Johnny. And I think uh, it's important, right? This accessibility that that everyone should have to these types of experiences, and you know, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to presume anything about what you're saying, but you know, thinking about that connectivity that we all have now, or a lot of us have, or the majority or a good majority of people have, and how can we leverage that to, to build community around this type of thing? Johnny, this has been so awesome. And, and, uh, you're such a great storyteller and I, I'm, 
I'm so mad I didn't get to go on the be one of those hundred people on that Lexus kind of experience. I'm, I'm going to make sure the next time we do one, next time we do one, I'll, 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 that, you're right on that, right on that invite list. It, do you know what? The only person I've ever managed to actually get into one of those experiences was my dad. Uh, oh, okay. yeah, that must have been a good moment. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the, when you've got a, a guest list of a hundred people and they're all editors of this and editors of that, you, you can't really squeeze a couple of your mates in. But I did, uh, right. I, I, I did manage to get my dad in, and he's what seventy four now, and and uh, I just remember him standing with his hands on his hips at the end uh, when I sort of came out to see him, shaking his head, saying, "Is this what you do for a job?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, kinda, yeah, yeah. yeah. What a yeah. great moment. Yeah. <laughs> It all clicked for him. He's like, okay, Certainly my, my son, my son is a magician. Um, <laughs> I, wish. J- John, I wish. Johnny, what's, what's the best way for, for listeners and folks who are interested in, in you and your work in department studios to get in touch or find out more? That is a very good question. Um, so you can go to our very bare and minimal and, uh, <laughs> where there is no information at all website, depthstudios.com. Uh, there is also the the agency side, which is the company that does the work with with um, uh, with with companies like Lexus, uh, which is also called the department. Very confusingly, which is the hyphen department dot co dot uk, uh, and you'll find me on each of those. And, and, and I, I, I'm always happy to uh, to, to hear from uh, people interested in the space. And otherwise, there are some great resources out there. These days, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd always uh, tell people to log into things like No Proscenium, uh, which is great. I, I mean, Noah runs that. It's more more US centric. Um, so if you're US side, uh, it's probably a great place to start. And that, that's uh, much more about the public uh, entertainment space rather than the branded space. But yeah, always happy to hear from everyone. Yeah. Thank you, Johnny. Um, Listeners, if, if, if there's anything I think we've learned so far through the, the series is that um, DTC is much bigger and broader than any one endeavor and that this, this language of marketing comes in so many different flavors and, and it's, it, it is modern culture and it can be powerful. And especially I think when working is kind of a combination of, of physical and digital experiences. And I know that I'm excited to see where it all goes. I'm, I'm hoping someday, you know, maybe I'll be 74, but but I'll get to have one of these one of these great kind of game-like experiences. But in the meantime, um, we look to folks like Johnny and the Department Studios to kind of forge ahead and 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 go into new territory and build these experiences and and again make them accessible for everybody. Um, DTC Growth Hacking is presented by Field Test. It's edited and engineered by Garrett Griebel. It's hosted by me, Rob McGray. We release new episodes on Tuesdays. And if you're a marketer or a brand or a consumer, this is definitely the podcast you should listen to. So whatever you're listening to now, go hit subscribe and make sure you get all the episodes. And I want to thanks, um, send a big thanks again to Johnny Grant, Department Studios, and uh, Thank you for all the magic that you bring to the world. And, uh, and from the entire team at Field Test, have a great week. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Rob. Cheers.
This was a Field Test Podcast.